Hi there, friends. Today we have a special guest, Ginny Coaches of Not So Formulaic, who's going to talk to us about raising differently wired kids in the faith. We're diving into everything from how we can handle the extra messes that come with executive dysfunction to modifying the way we catechize our children when they have issues like anxiety. I think you guys are going to love this one. Hey there, Mama. This is True Presence, the podcast where Catholic moms like you and me learn to be embodied souls. St. Catherine of Siena said, be who you were meant to be, and you will set the world on fire. In the midst of hurry, worry, and social media, we're doing a 180 and focusing on real presence, communion, connection, natural living, and bringing eternity into our hearts and homes. I'm your host, Kelsey, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey there, Mama. Have you ever wondered what age your kids are ready to learn certain practical life skills? You are in luck because I've made you an age-by-age guide. It is linked in the show notes, and you can grab that and see when your kids, your young kids, are going to be ready to start learning basic things for helping out around the house, taking care of themselves, and doing outdoor things like gardening. I think so often we spend so much of their childhood thinking that all of these things are stuff they're going to learn later, and we're just trying to do it for them. But you can do these things with them, and everybody benefits because they learn and build their confidence as they build these skills, they build their fine motor skills, it helps to grow their brains, and it also gives you an absolutely wonderful way to connect with each other throughout your day, just doing real life together. So grab that list, see if you can get started. I hope it's helpful to you. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us today. I And just absolutely delighted to have you here. And I think that other moms listening are going to really benefit from your wisdom and experience. I was wondering if by way of introduction, you could just tell us a little bit about your story and how that has turned into a ministry for differently wired families. Sure. Absolutely. Um, First of all, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here as well. Um, So I have three children. Um, my oldest is 16. Then I have a 12 year old and an eight year old. Um, and I, I think I sort of expected when I became a mom, um, for things to go a certain way because, you know, we were, um, I was, I went to Catholic school, you know, I was raised in the church. Um, I went to Catholic university and then, you know, my husband and I were Catholic and (laughs) we went to a, you know, a fairly, um, a fairly large and devout Catholic parish and so we saw, you know, lots of families and we sort of had this idea in our head of, of how this was supposed to go. Um, so we had our first, um, who is now 16, um, our daughter. And uh, she was, um, she was amazing. You know, she was this, she, she was an artist from a very early age. Um, she started really at two drawing, you know, actual pictures of things. Um, and, and she is still an artist today. She's exceedingly talented, but, um, she was also different and, but we didn't know what that meant exactly because she was our first child. So, um, we, you know, we sent her to preschool. She had some, some trouble in preschool. Um, but she was, you know, she was meeting all of her developmental milestones. Um, you know, we, we weren't concerned about anything, you know, related to that. Um, in fact, she was ahead. I mean, she was reading, she was reading the Hobbit by the time she went into kindergarten. Um, you know, she had taught herself how to read. Um, she, uh, you know, that was is very, very impressive. Well, she, she was a smart kid, 
Um, but when we enrolled her in um, a Catholic school um, for kindergarten, everything sort of fell apart. Um, she was running from the classroom. She was hiding under the table. She was having arguments with the teacher. Um, and it was just, you know, every day I was getting phone calls, um, you know, from the office and I could hear her, you know, screaming, having meltdowns, um, in the office, you know, in the background. And so we went through, um, an evaluation process and the whole thing was just kind of heart wrenching. Um, and long story short, uh, she was originally diagnosed as having Asperger's. Um, they don't call it that anymore. Um, so she's, I mean, she's autistic. Uh, she has, she has a little water, like a sticker on her water bottle that says actually autistic. <laughs> she, she carries it proudly. Um, but yeah, so we didn't know, I mean, that was, that was hard because, you know, we'd go to church functions and she would be, you know, running around the room in circles or spinning or, um, you know, and, and she could talk to people and she'd carry on conversations and, you know, could look them in the eye and, you know, was, was communicative and all those things that you think an autistic child wouldn't be. And yet, um, you know, she could not handle kind of the, the sensory input of the classroom and all these different things. Um, so then my, um, our second child came along, they're four years apart. Um, and she, um, developed anxiety, um, and was eventually diagnosed as having OCD. So, um, and then, you know, our third, um, actually just got the same exact diagnosis. Our son has now (laughs) been diagnosed with anxiety and OCD. Um, so I, I think I felt like, you know, I would, I would be in mass and we would have our, you know, just our three kids spaced four years apart. Um, some of the, some of whom could not really handle being in mass for an extended period of time, um, you know, or who would just, you know, call out. I remember once, um, gosh, what did she do? Um, in the middle of Christmas mass, it was Christmas day mass. Thankfully there weren't many people there, but, um, our oldest was maybe eight, I think. And she just yelled out in the middle of the homily. She was like, alligator, because she, you know, she, was just, she had this story in her head that she was telling, um, you know, but I like, and, and I was constantly feeling like, you know, I'm, I'm not a good enough disciplinarian, you know, I'm not, um, on top of these things. Maybe I need to teach them more about the virtues, like what is going on. Um, and then, you know, once we got the diagnosis and I started doing, you know, more research on twice exceptionality, which is, you know, children who are, um, intellectually gifted and then have a developmental or learning disability. Um, a lot of it started clicking into place. And I realized that, um, I felt alone, um, but that I wasn't, that there were a lot of different families out there like ours. Um, I just didn't know where they were. Um, so I started writing about our experience, um, just to write about it. And then from that, um, started my blog and then from the blog to the website and then, you know, the products and the services and all the things that I offer, um, so that's, I think how, you know, the ministry kind of took root is that I just, I had my own issues that I was trying to deal with. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the more I started writing about it, the more people started reaching out to me and saying, Hey, you know, this sounds exactly like what's going on with my, you know, my son, my daughter. Um, so yeah, here we are. I think you're right. There is this like deep loneliness in mm-hmm. the community of parents who are raising exceptional children. What kind of mindset shifts in your experience can help moms who feel like they're failing because their parenting ends up looking different because this is, this is such a unique kind of way we have to parent when we have kids who are 
well, unique. Yeah, no, that's true. I think, um, I think basically you have to realize that people aren't looking at you, that really nobody cares. <laughs> and if they do, you like, if they even have a thought or they have an opinion, you know, that's, that's their issue, not mine. So I remember once, you know, I was feeling, we used to, we did originally homeschooled. We homeschooled for eight years um, after kindergarten. I pulled my daughter out and decided to homeschool her. Um, and so we homeschooled up through eighth grade. And I was involved in the homeschool community um, in my parish. And there were so many huge families, like 10, 12 kids. And I was like, I think that I would have a nervous breakdown if I had more than what I have. And, and I often felt like, awkward because we didn't fill up a pew. You know, I felt like maybe we weren't Catholic enough or whatever. Um, and I, I actually once mentioned that to a friend of mine who was the mother of 12 children. And she was like, you know, we don't know, you know, I I've never, ever, ever looked at you and thought you don't have enough kids. You know, I'm too concerned about, you know, which one of mine is crawling under the pew. Like I'm not, I'm not worried about that. Um, and so you know, that when she said that it helped me realize what I said previously, which is that, you know, people aren't looking at me. Um, you know, it, it's not, that is my own, you know, my own fear and my insecurity that makes me think that people are judging me and my parenting. And on the occasions when I have had people um, outwardly judge or say something about my parenting, for instance, I was in Walmart once um, with my middle child. She was two. Yeah. Um, and our oldest was in kindergarten. So our family was going through all of that. Um, and my two-year-old had not yet been um, diagnosed for, you know, because really a diagnosis doesn't typically come the earliest is unless you do early intervention for something serious, you probably wouldn't find out until around school age. Um, but her anxiety was already showing through and we just didn't realize exactly what it was, but she was having this massive, massive meltdown in the middle of um, Walmart. Um, it started because I wouldn't buy her this sparkly pink doggy purse that she wanted. Um, and then it just, you know, it steamrolled from there. She just got totally caught up in herself. And this woman followed me around the store and accused me of abusing my daughter. She kept saying to me, why is she crying like that? Why is she calling for your husband? Because she knows my husband will buy her the purse. <laughs> you know, you know, are you pinching her? You have to be pinching her. What is going on? You know, and, and I finally just said, ma'am, I'm sorry. My daughter's having a meltdown. She's having, you know, she's had, she's tired. She's not sleeping. My older daughter's having some issues at school. I, this is just how things are. Um, and then she, she followed me out to the parking lot and then I and got on her cell phone and I thought, oh my word, this woman is calling the authorities. So I called my husband and he talked me down off the cliff. But I think after that, I had to sit back. I spent a lot of time thinking about it, a lot of time writing about it. And I realized that, you know, that is, there was something with her. Something was going on with her that made her feel like she had to follow me around. So, you know, if anybody ever says something to me about my parenting or, you know, whatever, um, it's usually something that they've got on the inside um, that they are dealing with. So I try really hard to remember, you know, A, that everybody's got something and B, 90% um, of the time, things that people say aren't really because of me anyway. It's just whatever they've got going on inside. And then I just, you know, remove myself from the situation and then pray for them and move on. So, but it's taken a long time to get there. Like, you know, 17 years of parenting. 
this is not, this is not a thing that came to me like early on. So. Right. That that's quite a difficult skill. I think I know I'm, I'm only about 10 years into parenting at this point Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. definitely still in the, oh my goodness, everyone's looking at me stage. Yeah. So that is, it's true though. I mean, that is really in a way, very odd that someone would follow you around too. I mean, who knows? That doesn't seem healthy. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, no. But I had to, I think I, I had to really assume the best of her. Um, You know, that was a hard lesson too, is the idea that, you know, it's always, it's always better to assume the best of um, someone, you know, just assume the best of intentions. Like she probably thought that she was, you know, saving a child from a horrible situation. And you know what? Godspeed lady. (laughs) That is also a good point. Yep. Always better to uh, think charitable thoughts. Yeah. So. Can we talk a little bit too about, I know for me as a, I I have ADHD and it's horrible Mm -hmm. and I have children with ADHD. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about is how do you handle all the you know, just executive dysfunction and like, you know, how there's always extra messes around, right? Because no one ever remembers to clean up the crafts that they so eagerly <laughs> took out 20,000 pieces for. What, is, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I, I, there's a couple of things. I think the first thing I had to do, I had to realize that, I mean, I, I have zero executive function. I don't like, if, if I could pan out and show you what my office looks like, you would probably cry. But, um, or maybe I would just cry because I know what it looks like, but, um, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I think I had to, I had to really lower my expectations. You know, I, I just had to be okay with a certain level of, um, what's the word I'm looking for a certain level of mess, I guess, you know, of, of dishevelment. I don't even think that's a word, but I, I had to be okay with, um, my house just being a little messy. You know, um, if your house is mostly clean, um, you know, and nobody's like, catching botulism from stuff they're taking out of the refrigerator. You know, I, I think you're probably fine. I mean, I, and I understand, I know for me, like there is a point where like the, the sub-level consistent mess can just get to me. And then I go through these like whirling dervish cleaning rages. Um, so yeah, so I, I, so I know that that is not always, um, it's not a long-term solution. It helps, but it's not a long-term solution. I think, you know, the other thing that you can do is you can build executive function skills. They do not just magically develop over time. You know, it's not something that you really grow out of. You have to actually um, learn the different stages, you know, of executive function um, because there's kind of a a different ladder of skills um, and each one builds on the one below it or the one, well, yeah, each one builds as it goes up the ladder, basically. Um, so there are ways that you can learn those skills. Um, you know, and I've written extensively on my blog about that. And I have a couple of, um, you know, free and like paid resources that are there that people can use. Um, but, you know, just um, practically, you know, or on, from, from a practical standpoint, we have a lot of checklists. We have a lot of visual schedules. Um, we have a lot of sticky note reminders. Um, you know, you can take, you you can get the kids involved, um, you know, but you have to practice kind of the tasks that you want them to do because it has to become kind of like muscle memory. They have to get used to what they are supposed to do. So like, you know, on the back of our bathroom doors, we have a list of, you know, what to do to, when you're cleaning the bathroom. Um, you know, you, it becomes like a, a matter of routine 
so that you're not really um, spending as much time trying to find your stuff because you've already just met, you've like routinely just put it where it belongs, you know, cause there, there's a mindset shift of just being okay with it. And then there's the practical side of, you know, setting yourself up for success um, and learning the skills that you need in order to develop um, the, the kind of organization of your, your space, your heart, your head, all of that kind of stuff. That's so true. There's definitely both sides to that. We have to have the growth mindset as well as just accepting the way things are, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Now, one of the things I have noticed that you say is that parenting kids like this is sometimes just more Mm -hmm. than other things. What, how do you prepare yourself like to have the energy you need? Because I think you're right. I think that word more is such a good descriptor for when you're raising differently wired kids. Sure. No. And I think it's doubly hard if you are, um, you know, differently wired yourself because I am, um, you know, and, and I didn't really even know it. I've never had a formal diagnosis, but like raising my kids, I've realized, you know, yeah, I have sensory issues. Um, yes, I do have anxiety. Um, you know, and I'm in treatment for anxiety, you know, yes, I do have, you know, some attention deficit kind of issues. I have hyper-focused, um, you know, all of those things. And, um, I don't know that there's a way, you know, I, th- I think I just, over the years I have set up, I don't want to call it an approach because that's not really what it is. I know how things are going to go. I have an idea of, you know, how my kids are going to react to certain situations and then say, okay, you know, what are the things that I can do? I do actually really advocate um, for moms to have something of their own that is just distinctly theirs. Um, And I know that that kind of sometimes goes um, against what a lot of what a lot of people say and what, you know, some of the more like, um, traditional, I mean, I, I am a devout Catholic, but I think, you know, there's, there's kind of a, there's a side of things where people will say, you know, no, it's, it's, it's you and your kids all the time. And when, when you're raising kids like ours, it it really can't be like, there needs to be some respite care. Um, because you, you, it's like that whole oxygen mask scenario, you know, in the airplane where you can't, you know, they tell you to put it on yourself first before you help the kid with you. Um, and so I, you know, I have other hobbies. I have things that I do. I have a book club that I go to once a month, um, you know, and they're small, but it's important. You know, I, I take time for therapy, you know, <laughs> I take time to meet with my psychiatrist, you know, all these little things that um, really support me in my efforts to support my kids. Um, so, and then obviously, you know, my prayer time is, you know, hugely important. I don't have a lot of time, um, you know, to devote to prayer because I, I mean, to like sitting and just actively praying. So a lot of the prayer that I do is kind of on the go, but, um, I recently, not recently, but a year ago, I downloaded the hello app and that's been huge, um, to help me, you know, listening to, um, doing the Lexio Divina, um, and then, you know, listening to the divine mercy chaplet in the morning while I'm making lunches, so that I'm not, you know, grumbling in my head about something that somebody didn't do or something that somebody is yelling about, you know, I'm instead, I'm just, the prayer is there and it's on, um, in the background. So, um, yeah, 
I mean, I hope that answered your question. I tend to ramble. Oh, sorry. yeah. No, I think you're completely right. I think that we have to have those things in our life so that we can show up as mm-hmm. the really patient parents we want to be. Right. And absolutely. Um, I don't think that there's any anything. I, I've heard that kind of idea that, you know, I think that we as women and moms often struggle with doing anything that we sure. tell ourselves might be selfish, but right. I don't think it's selfish if it's purposeful. It's no. there because we do these things because we want to do our job well. Right. Yeah. So, exactly. yeah, no, I think that's absolutely wonderful that you do all those things. Um, okay. I wanted to ask you, this one's really important. How do you approach faith formation differently than you expected you would? And what kinds of strategies have really helped? So this became an issue with my second child. Um, she, her anxiety was so bad. Um, that we had a really hard time with kind of, um, I, I don't know if this is right. It, concupiscence, is that the word that I'm looking for? Where she was like consistently just convinced that she would not be forgiven ever. Um, is that scrupulosity? Scrupulosity, maybe? not concupiscence. Thank you. I was like, I can't think of the word. <laughs> um, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah no, she something. was incredibly scrupulous. Um, and it was really hard. You know, I didn't, you know, with our oldest, she's like her logical brain. She's just like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, I have to do this. So I will go and do it, you know? Um, and then with her sister, it was, um, there was a lot of, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of, there still is, you know, she's 12 now and and it still takes a lot of, um, a lot of prep, a lot of practice, a lot of reassurance to get her, um, to go to confession, um, and feel okay about it. Um, once she goes, she always feels fine. Um, but so we've had to, there's a lot of things, even reading scripture with her um, has been difficult because there are, you know, the even stories like when Solomon and the the baby, um, you know, and they want to split the baby in half, like we had to censor all of that. Um, you know, she would get really upset about the idea of all the people who were left behind in the flood, um, you know, lots of sensitivity. So um, we focus on, we focus on mercy a lot with her. We focus on grace a lot with her. Um, a lot of the good things, um, a lot of the beauty, you know, like she went on a field trip. We live up in the DC area and, um, she went on a field trip for a confirmation class to the Basilica. Um, and I think that was perfect because it's gorgeous, you know, and she was just able to kind of soak in all of the, the goodness and the beauty that was there. Um, you know, and she doesn't have to like focus so much on, I mean, she knows about the crucifixion and she knows that it matters, but like for her to, um, to perseverate on that isn't healthy. Um, so we have to, you know, keep that in mind. Um, for my oldest, the, the logic brain, the logic part of her, um, there is, I forget the statistic. Um, and, and I actually have a whole post on this about, you know, the truth about smart kids and faith. And that is, you know, kids who are, or individuals who are, um, intellectually gifted tend to walk away from, faith and religion, um, at a rate much higher than, um, your, like the neurotypical peers. So with our oldest, um, we really had to like, give her the why, you know, it couldn't just be like, this is what we believe. It had to be, you know, this is what we believe in and here's the reasoning for it. Um, so she's read through UCAT. She's read a lot of, um, there's a theologian whose work she's read a lot of, um, she, she studied the catechism. 
Um, she's in a high school now, thankfully, at the Catholic high school that um, really is strong as far as theology is concerned and, and philosophy um, and ethics. Um, so she's getting, you know, all of that intellectually stimulating information that, you know, so she can say, you know, she can say, I know that, um, you know, a lot of people would argue X, Y, Z, but here's why I say ABC, you know, and she can back it up with, you know, teachings from the church. Um, and we're really lucky. We're not lucky. We're blessed in that sense that, you know, as Catholics, we have this huge body of like why we do what we do. And it's not just, oh yeah, somebody decided, you know, whenever this year that we were going to do this thing, um, you know, we can go back to the source. We can go back to Christ himself and trace it all the way back there. And everything, you know, everything kind of, kind of pulls from that. So um, I think you know, that's so true. We don't yeah. have the same like conflict too, between things like faith and science that Mm-mm. you can often see it's, we are, very intellectual as a religion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's been helpful too. Um, you know, I think the, the thing is you have to also, you do have to cultivate, um, an appreciation for the mysterious, um, because there are some things that simply cannot be explained, obviously. Um, you know, that's why we have, we have to take things on faith. Um, but you know, she, like Eucharistic miracles, um, are really interesting to her, um, being able to see like the scientific empirical evidence of, oh my gosh, this is human, but it wasn't, I mean, it, it was bread, but now it's human, but it was bread, you know, <laughs> like, but you can see there's the science, you know? Um, so those sorts of things have helped, I think. Um, and then with my youngest, he's, he's probably ADHD also. Um, the, the eval we got said they wanted, you know, they were like, let's deal with the anxiety and the OCD first, and then we'll, then we'll tackle the other stuff. But, you know, with him, it's mostly just like, can you sit, can you sit and listen and not complain about how boring this is? Um, and we're getting there. So <laughs> yeah, totally get that. Yeah. That and is- oh, the other thing I wanted to mention is that like liturgical living looks really different for us. We don't, you know, we're not doing these like elaborate crafts or things or whatever. It's oh, like, thank you for saying yeah, that. No. Yes. Oh I, I completely agree. No, we, can, we pick and choose. Yeah. No, I mean, there's, there's really not, and I didn't even grow up with that. I mean, I'm probably dating myself. Um, I mean, I was in Catholic school in the eighties and that wasn't a thing. Like liturgical living was not a thing. Like we just didn't do it, but you know, we always talked about the faith. You know, we had conversations about it around the dinner table. My mom was a convert, um, you know, and, and my dad was born in 1930. So he was pre-Vatican II, like very, just very conservative. Um, and, and I he used to drive me into school in the mornings. And that was one of the best things ever was just having conversations with him about faith when I was in high school. Um, you know, because he taught me so much, um, about Catholicism. So, you know, I don't think liturgical living is nice. It's great. It's, it's like a great addition. It's, but it's like, you know, the frosting on the cake, like cake is still really good without the frosting. You know, you don't have to do all of those things, um, to be, you know, to be Catholic. So anyway, I think you're so right on that. It's, um, it's one of those things where I think a lot of people have similar stories, like they didn't grow up with as much of that. And it might be mm-hmm. that it's become more popularized now, you know, in the age of sure. social media. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are obviously traditions and we have such a beautiful liturgical, uh, you know, smorgasbord of options sure. to pull yeah. from. But yeah, you're right. We have to just cut down to the relationship we have with our kids is the core of it and mm-hmm. catechize again 
them in whatever way suits them the best. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, last question I wanted to ask you uh, is you often reference St. Zeely Martin. And I wanted to say, or see, how has she influenced you? Um, I think it was just really comforting to know that there was a saint who had her own struggles with anxiety and depression, who would, you know, would write things like, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get through this day. I will probably be dead by five o'clock. I mean, I mean, that's one of my favorite quotes about her. I'm, I'm paraphrasing a lot, but or one of my favorite quotes from her. Um, she was just real. She was a real person. And all the saints are real people. But I think sometimes, you know, you look at people like Mother Teresa, who just had this boundless energy of like mercy. I, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, what I'm trying to say. But you know, she just like ra- Mother Teresa radiates calm and peace. And even though she was fighting that dark night of the soul, she still kept that that presence about her. You know, and I get the sense that like Zaley Martin was more like this is hard. This is really hard and I don't like it. You know, and she had these kids she had who were just really difficult. I mean, she had Leone who, you know, there's a lot of speculation that Leone was autistic. Um, she had, you know, the little flower Therese who would throw massive tantrums and throw herself down the stairs. I mean, it's, it's like, it, it's a very human experience, um, you know, to know or her experience was very human. Um, and I think that I don't even remember where I first heard about her. Um, but when I did, and I had started reading about her, I was like, oh my gosh, this woman, um, could be like my twin. I mean, obviously not, I'm not as holy as she is obviously. And I doubt I will ever be canonized. Um, but I, there was a, there was a kinship there that I felt. Um, and I, you know, reading her, her letters, um, that she shares between, or there's the book of, what am I trying to say? The letters she wrote back and forth with her husband, (laughs) that book is really good. Um, because it gives you a lot of insight and, um, encouragement there. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that is kind of, um, I think why I feel drawn to her. Um, I just feel like if anybody could have understood what I was going through, if anybody could have understood, you know, the the day that I like went into the bathroom downstairs and locked myself in there while my kids cried outside, it would be her. So, <laughs> yeah. She definitely makes it possible or feel possible for us to achieve sainthood on this uh, roller coaster journey, doesn't she? Yeah. She does. She does. Uh, Jenny, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about your programs too. And I know you have uh, the Zealy Society, is it? Yeah, I actually, there's been a little bit of reconstruction um, or like restructuring, I guess I should say. So um, the Zealy Society, as it was, is basically been moved over to my Facebook group. So now it's all there. Um, We do have a Facebook group. Um, There's about a couple thousand of us in there, um, which is really supportive. And it's I I like that it's a culture where everybody just sort of understands what it's like to raise these kids. So you're not, you're not going to come in contact with a lot of judgment or like, why don't you just do X, Y, Z? Well, because X, Y, Z doesn't work. You know, you're not going to get that. Um, And then I do have, um, I have a a number of, well, my blog, I have a ton of posts. That's just lots of free information, Um, parenting, gifted kids, parenting, twice, exceptional kids, 
um, parenting different wired kids, faith formation. Um, there's a lot on homeschooling up there too. Um, and then for parents who send their kids to brick and mortar school, like we do now, um, there's, you know, resources for, you know, how to handle all that with IEPs, 504s, um, that kind of thing. Um, and then I have, um, I have some paid resources as well. I have a bunch of workbooks. I have a mass journal for kids. I have a growth mindset journal for kids. Um, I have, what else do I have on there? Um, there's family toolkits to help with anxiety. Um, there's even, you know, like a, a marriage toolkit for you know, parents of differently wired kids. Um, I've got master classes, workshops. There's a ton. <laughs> it's all there. That's awesome. So. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your experience, your wisdom, and just your heart for, you know, this, this is really a special mission, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I, and I forget that sometimes, you know, because I get just caught up in the, I think the, the everydayness of it, you know, and I forget that this is like a a vocation, Um, but it is. And so I appreciate you bringing me on here, you know, so I can get a chance to think of it from a different perspective than just like, this is what I'm doing every day. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for all the encouragement you give to all the moms out there. You're welcome. All right, my friends, if you've been liking this podcast and you haven't hit that follow button, go ahead and do that. Then you'll see every single episode the day that it comes out, just showing up in your podcast app. And if you really like this podcast, would you do me a favor and leave me a review? And the more information you tell me about the things you like, the better I am able to make episodes like that and get you the guests that are helpful to you. I am so grateful to anyone who's already left a review. Thank you for that. So please go ahead, write a review, hit the follow button, share this with a friend. Let's see if we can find more moms who want to listen and get this out there to them so they can get benefits just like you.